You're listening to an Irreverent Podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends. Hi, friends. Sarah here with a brief disclaimer. You are listening to a podcast about making space for other people as well as for yourself, which may mean that you're going to hear language and ideas and thoughts, not just about life, but about faith that are different than your own. My hope is that you will listen to this podcast with an attitude of space making, being able to hear things that are different from what you may interpret the world to be. It also may be different than how the hosts feel about the world. But again, we are working together to make a little bit more space for each other. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Making Spaces podcast, a podcast about making space both literally and figuratively for yourself and others. Uh, we are about to hop into the intro, but I got to tell you, you're hearing people make space both at my spot <laughs> and also at Josie's. I'm Sarah, and this is... Josie. <laughs> and we have got massive construction happening around us. And as a lot of us are doing during uh, the pandemic times, we are recording from home. So um, although even if we were at our office, it's even louder there because of the main freeway. The, the thoroughfares. The thoroughfares. <laughs> and it's also right by a uh, fire station. And they like, I think they all wait, like, is someone preaching? All right go, go, go. It's almost like Amazon yeah. on. It's so loud. Um, so Josie, how was your week? Uh, not a great one. I mean, it was fine. Um, I just was hurting a whole lot and it really, I never realized that pain makes your brain kind of suck, you know? Uh, it 100% <laughs> does. In fact, uh, I think I've told you before, but I, the experience of having COVID, although I really can't complain, it hasn't been um, as bad as it's been for a lot of people, but um, the aches that my body uh, experienced and like today I'm super achy and uh, I have to say that it made me appreciate how much you and my mom and folks who have fibromyalgia and other um, just constant pain. I have constant injury pain from playing sports that ache and that makes you grumpy when that happens, but I cannot imagine the longevity of like your entire body aching all the time. So it's yeah. not great. And it messes with rough. your mind. Yeah. And then I throw out my back. <laughs> yeah. Tell Saturday. that story. Are we calling that throwing <laughs> out our back or are we just, cause throwing out our back is usually just like you step wrong. You fell. Yeah. yeah I was helping a friend with this giant wedding um it was beautiful was, it was but it was excessive <laughs> it really um, was it was like the most flowers i've seen and yeah. she does big big yeah. weddings but this was like i've never seen like the even on the top of the tables i was looking through her pictures and holy crap yeah. it was twenty thousand dollars worth of flowers it was stop a it yeah that's how much i mean not flowers but that's how much the budget was for the florist and oh my god she needed it to hire us um yeah so I was doing fine and I thought that the flowers would hurt me but then I was just going downstairs to go like put something in the u-haul because we weren't using it anymore and my clumsy ass fell with one leg between the <laughs> u-haul and the loading dock just oh, like no. and honestly if the loading dock hadn't been there it would have been a whole ton worse right because I would have like fallen off right. the u-haul yeah but I don't know how or why or what I did when falling, but I threw out my lower back. <laughs> yeah, you wrenched <laughs> it. As they say, you yeah. wrenched it. 
yeah. yeah. So Yikes. it was um it was funny, but I kept working because you know we hadn't we weren't done, and so it was just like seizing up, and I had to be on a ladder, so it was just like seizing on a ladder. Oof. Yeah, it was funny. How is today? Because you were able to kind of lay low yesterday, yeah. Yes, today is better. Um, because when I got home from that wedding, I just took. Sorry for all my kosher people. Took a little bit of an edible, uh-huh. took my muscle relaxer, ibuprofen, and just mellowed out for the day. Yeah, really. Yeah. I don't know if edibles are kosher or not. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't I think they. I think they guys anything Jewish to do with people. Judaism. <laughs> I mean, for those who are clean, um, I got it. Well, I had. I tell you what, this has been a crazy. I'm working towards um, launching a business as I get ready to, uh, I've only got eight weeks left of work. Uh, or as I like to say, I have two paychecks left. <laughs> so I've got to figure out how to do life. And then I've got some uh, deadlines coming up for some other content stuff that I've got to create. So this weekend was just super leaning into uh, recognizing that um, I as a Enneagram three, I often like to pretend that I've got it all figured out, but I had, I had a, I called my friend and I said, I'm having a panic attack. And he said, they said, no, you're not. <laughs> I said, I feel like, I think maybe I am. And they said, no, you're experiencing anxiety. Um, and I just, I was so lucky that I two really good friends who were coming over and we had been going through some finance stuff and, uh, for whatever reason, just looking at like retirement and all that kind of stuff. And I've been really taking ownership of all that stuff in my life, uh, recognizing that I'm getting older and uh, my life circumstances mean that I've got to be the one to take care of all of this. And so I, um, I just was really honest with them. And then just to have great people in your life who know how to like reflect the pride they have for you and knowing like words of affirmation mean a lot to me. And so instead of doing our normal book club, which would be like to go through this book, um, just spent time like hearing what was frightening in each other's lives and then affirming each other. It was just almost like the most lovely women in your forties drinking wine, talking about what you're proud of in the other one, but it was a gift. Um, I think so I'm coming off of that. And then yesterday was just busy with work stuff. Exciting. I've got weddings coming up, which is really fun. I'm doing a wedding for um, one of my former students when I was a youth pastor who is a film director. And so we caught up yesterday, but you would have laughed, Josie, because it was like 10 minutes talking about a wedding and like, like it's a big deal, his wedding, right? Um, we maybe talked about that for 10 minutes. Then we started talking about Wes Anderson and the Arc Lake Theater and how that might close and how that's crazy and like all this stuff about like that. And then it was really nice just to sort of uh, I realized like an hour later, like I got to go do other work, but it was great to connect to him. So it's been, I don't know. I feel like I woke up exhausted, which is, you know, <laughs> and not like I didn't do anything fun. I just was exhausted. Um, so glad to be working on some stuff, but you know how it is. So busy week, but I re-listened to our interview that I'm excited for all of us to share uh, this week with uh, Reverend Dr. Rudy Rasmus. What are your thoughts on this conversation? What should folks be listening out for? Um, well, the whole thing is amazing. So listen to the whole thing. Listen to but- the whole thing. <laughs> I like it all. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's just because Dr. Dr. Rudy um, is passionate about all the same things I'm passionate about and has been doing the thing that I've been dreaming about doing since I was a kiddo. Um, 
yeah helping the unhoused be unfortunately mm-hmm. unhoused in a way that is very um of the times less churchy and more this is what actually fucking works dude all right like not just i don't know i really appreciated that mentality in a in a reverend in a reverend, reverend yeah i to say that we have been in each other's lives for years in um just sort of circling and he he's one of those people that knows when to reach out when you need it most and so grateful for that um and really grateful for his words in this conversation so we uh listen to it all um there is some content warning which as you guys know there's some talk about suicide and depression and the difficulty that sometimes doing this work leads to so what does it mean to be doing the good good work and yet also know that your own um your own mental health and feeling connected can be severed in those moments. So I think it's a really great conversation. So with no further ado, here is Dr. Rasmus. You know, my, my, my wife has a, has a, a, a saying, basically, uh, it's not our gifts that bring us to ministry, but our pain. Mm. And, and out of that pain, we, we find a way to, to, uh, to help others. And, and that's really what, what this thing has been about for me. You know, I've been, been working through my crap, man, for a long time. I turn, uh, I'm 64 right now. I'm, uh, I turn 65 in a, in a few weeks. And it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that I'm still alive. all rudy rasmus who is the pastor of saint luke's correct have i got it right yep saint john John. saint luke's is where justin coleman was who's our other friend (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) there's a saint in there lots of saints (laughs) lots of saints and it's in houston yes at least i got the city right the state guys um also an author also someone who's been doing incredible work of making space for people particularly during the time of COVID and during the time as we've been talking about racial reconciliation and just an incredible pleasure someone whose career I've been following for a really long time. So it's so fun to have you on here. We start by asking kind of an easy question. So this is a podcast about making space both literally and figuratively. So the question that we think is easy, but people seem to stumble (laughs) sometimes is where is one of your favorite spaces and why? Uh, I'm a beach guy. Uh, You can tell by the beard, right? (laughs) <laughs> Venice Beach is the guess. Yeah. If I were to see that beard, I would say Venice Beach. Yeah, but I uh, I just love beaches all over the world, and and it hits. Uh, I've hit as many as I can, and it, you know, it's been a been a good journey. Hmm. You got one that you like in particular? It doesn't have to be your favorite, because yeah. favorite is like the hardest word. Well, I hate that word. My really, my really favorite beach is Aruba. Oh, excuse uh, me, Aruba. That's on my list. I get there <laughs> twice a year and have for the last 20 years wow <laughs> yeah you're doing something right the lord is looking upon you <laughs> the lord has favor on you yeah 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 but i've been hustling a long time you know i i uh i was hustling before i got to ministry so i didn't look to ministry to make a life for me you know now what did you do before ministry i don't know i uh i was on the dark side for most of my adult life um uh, owned and operated a uh a little motel uh, in the in the hood. We rented our rooms by the hour, mm. uh, which meant uh, which meant I was connected to all facets of the trade. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, did that for a long time. You know, matter of fact, I did it until my second year of ministry. I ran that business. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. you know, the Lord forgives. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's one option for field ed. Huh? <laughs> I mean, that's that's field ed. You got you better have got credit for that. <laughs> yeah, but it was a, it was an interesting spot, you know, and I, I learned a lot about humanity there. Uh, I started in my early 20s and and left in my mid 30s. Uh, and, and that, you know, it was, it was kind of a um, it was something I was kind of raised to do, though. I was uh, kind of raised by a father who uh, who believed in in uh, free trade, if you mm-hmm. can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So we, uh, uh, we, we had a few really counterproductive businesses in the hood. And, uh, and when my life changed, um, I walked away from them. That had ultimately, to be hard leaving. Oh, yeah, it was, man, it was. Ultimately came back to them, though, and uh, converted that motel to a, a drug treatment facility. Wow. Oh, and, talk about yeah. making spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and ran it as a drug treatment facility for probably another 15 years or so. So it's, uh, it redeemed. You know, uh, a lot of my, uh, my life and journey has been about redemption. Um, you know, I did a lot of crap on the other side and, and I felt for a long time that I needed to, I kind of needed to uh, work it, work, work it off, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like time and, uh, and, and did, uh, and got to the point where I, I realized that it had already been worked off. Yeah. Yeah. That is kind of, what am I working for? We, uh, our church has a saying, you're already loved by God. It's yeah. like the starting yeah. point. So why are you still working yeah. on it? Because I think people get stuck in, it's really hard to hear what we fear. And so if mm-hmm. we fear God and we think we have to keep working for God and working for the mission or whatever it might be, we're not actually in, that's not a relational situation. That's a, that's my boss. You're still hustling. That's right. That's right. Yep. And it took me, it took me a while to, uh, to get to the point where I, uh, I knew for a fact that I, I, I could experience that love. Mm-hmm. But uh, but once I did, I just kind of kind of moved forward. But, but it's been a, like I say, man. I'll, I'll say this throughout the day. It's been quite a journey. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think the journey is what was what enabled you to be able to even do the drug rehabilitation in general, right? Like if you didn't know the business, if you didn't have the connections to the people who needed the treatment, yeah. it would have never happened. Yeah, and I and I knew the business. Mm-hmm. I, knew the I think people. sometimes we make the space we need. We yes. needed. You know, mm-hmm. we needed that. We we know what our people need and want. And so often we don't realize, like so many pastors that I know haven't experienced a lot outside of wanting, like whenever I meet someone who I ask, did you want to be a pastor? And they said, since I was a kid, I'm like, probably not my kind of person. <laughs> wow, since you were a kid. Yeah, yeah. Because you've just not experienced much of life. You know, I went straight from, college to grad school, but I never thought I would be a pastor. So it was like, I was more shocked than anybody yeah. <laughs> that, that I was doing. <laughs> you know, my, my, my wife has a, has a, a, a saying, basically, uh, it's not our gifts that bring us to ministry, but our pain. Mm. And, and out of that pain, we, we find a way to, to, uh, to help others. And, and that's really what, what this thing has been about for me. You know, I've been been working through my crap, man, for a long time. I turn, uh, I'm 64 right now. I'm, uh, I'll, I'll, I turn 65 in a 
in a few weeks and it's um you know i'm i'm, I'm amazed that i'm still alive you know I'll, we probably we yeah. should then change the the shift of the podcast to talk about your skin regimen because fit 65 <laughs> are you kidding me <laughs> you know the word says black don't crack man it's, yeah. i had a, i had a woman i went to seminary with and i'm not exaggerating i wasn't trying to be kind i loved her but we were standing next to each other and she said something, it was my birthday. And I said, I'm turning 24. And she's like, oh, my oldest is 24. And I looked at her and I had never heard black don't crack. And I said, there is no, how old, I thought you were like most 30. And she's like, baby, I'm 55. And I just like my whole face <laughs> didn't know what to do. And then she literally had to pull her ID out because I was that, like, I thought this woman was lying to me. She said, she said, baby, you're going to have to learn black, don't crack. She's like, we don't get a lot of blessings in this world. She's like, life is hard for us, but well, we get good skin. She's like, my melanin well, does well in the sun. Yours does not. Right. <laughs> Fair yeah. Enough. Fair oh, enough. As oh. you've been working through this stuff, one of the things like, it's been so fun for me knowing your work and seeing what you're doing and inspiring because you've turned the church, I want to say almost inside out. Yeah. Like you're not asking people to come into the church necessarily. They may get there, but a lot of the work that you guys have been doing has been about like even providing in the very beginning um, care for folks uh, who are were, were most affected by COVID. Can you talk a little bit about how, how that happened where you started making that space? Has that been since the very beginning of your, how long have you been at that church? Uh, this is gonna be year 30. Yeah. So we started- bishops? 30 years is when it gets good. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I don't pay those folk any attention. It's a, uh, oh. yeah, it's, you know, I was sent to do something. And, and from the moment I, I set foot on the place, I knew it was a, it was a place that, uh, that God had really ordained for, for Juanita and I. And we've been kind of rolling in that direction from, from very, be very beginning. But I'll tell you how it really worked. So uh, September 92, we started. And, and we started serving a hot meal, one a week. And before we knew it, we were serving 500 a day to uh, homeless uh, people. And we just did that for about 22, 23 years. And, and along the way, uh, we, we moved into a lot of other service areas. One, um, in the 90s, 90, um, 93, 94, we started helping people who uh, were in, in, impacted by HIV AIDS. And just really welcoming uh, people into the into the mix who were positive, uh, ended up with this large demographic. Then we welcomed uh, um, people who were recovering from uh, addiction and people who were still in the midst of addiction. And, and that was a large group that came. And then we welcomed, uh, uh, we always welcomed homeless folk, you know, into the, into the room. And uh, around the, uh, the time of, of marriage equality, um, I started really intentionally welcoming uh, the LGBT QIA uh, community uh, into the room. And that was probably, you know, over, over the years, we had about 30,000 people join. And just 30,000. Yeah. I would say about <laughs> 10,000 or more have left because of my position on uh, uh, LGBTQ uh, mm -hmm. inclusion. Uh, you know, so, so that, you know, that was one of the costs I was willing to pay. You know, so the, the turnover over these years 
has been pretty pretty radical because I've never really given a damn <clears throat> whether you say or not. You know, uh, this is what we do. This is why we do it. You know, we're going to love, and and that love is going to be tangible. And you know, if you if you you know, if the person isn't down with that, uh, always suggest to them that maybe this ain't the spot for you. There's lots of places for you. Lots of places where you can go and you know and be and and even and even judge. You know, it's just uh, you know just kind of crazy. But it's it's been um, you know that part of the ride has been hard too, because I think one of my uh, one of my regrets uh, I, I could say is the friendships that uh, that chose not to uh, to mm -hmm. stay uh, mm -hmm. because of my uh, my position. And, and there's a lot of people, you know, some, some of those folk I really loved as friends, but, uh, uh, but they, uh, they just couldn't see uh, an inclusive world. So they, they bounced. And, and along the way, it's just been hard. I think that's, that's something we don't talk a lot about um, for space makers, people who are creating this environment, what they don't realize is the emotional task. Uh, yeah. That is, and um, I was actually just having a conversation yesterday, a statistic came out that um, the most clergy leaving is now. Mm -hmm. um, wow. And someone was asking like, what is going on? And um, at first I read by it, I looked by the like, it was on Twitter and I was like, I don't really need, I mean, I'm stepping out in July for lots of reasons, but one of them is your relationships. People don't realize what, what, it, what cost it is to say, um, for people to make a stand about how they feel about what they don't realize is they're saying about who you are. And you don't even sometimes know because you've learned, I think sometimes to be like, oh no, that's okay. Like if this isn't for you, but what they don't realize is like, you've invested as much as they've invested in you. And the emotional cost of that when you have given so much of yourself is something that we don't talk about very much. I, I know another clergy member who stepped out in the last couple of months and he just said, I was tired of people I knew and loved and had invested in ghosting me, oh. right? Yeah. Like, what does that feel like? How do I, so we have to be so intentional as space makers that even ask ourselves, like, what does this actually feel like? Like we joke around about like, I don't give a damn because we know that's the call, but I think there is an emotional cost, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. and I feel like that emotional cost extends to lots of people in the church. Like I have this fighting, my family is, Mexican Pentecostal and when you're Mexican Pentecostal and you fought Catholicism to be a Protestant it's it's a whole ride and I find myself pushing back against my family like I went to my gay cousin's wedding and it was a whole controversy and I said hey you believe that gay people are going to hell but I don't and right. I let you believe what you believe and you have to let me believe what I believe and if you don't want to make peace then I don't know what to tell you, grandma. Um, I, <laughs> like I'm, I'm good with where I am at and I'm good with where you're at because I understand that some people need that belief, need to stay in that, whatever it is that they want to believe. Like they, they can't see a heaven without or with gay people. And, and I, we can't see one without, I can't imagine. Exactly, exactly. And it does cost a lot for, people like us who are willing to say we don't give a damn because it costs us a third of your congregation it costs you some friends and then sometimes it even costs you your family because the world has to be more inclusive but yeah. what does that what does that look like 
because you're pretty well known out there, Rudy. What does that look like in the grand <laughs> scheme of the world to be so, I don't give a damn. <laughs> you read comments is really what we're wondering. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> no, um, um, something, so, so I guess my diagnosis is dissociative, um, mm. which has really helped me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in, you know I, I'm a uh, sort of a survivor of childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. And in the uh, in the midst of that, you know, some of the blessings of that has been the uh, uh, the lack of 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 needing to attach. Yep. You know, and and as a result, uh, it's been a it's really been a ministry gift. Uh, so so I can I can dissociate pretty easily uh, from uh, from people who uh, who ain't rolling with me. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, my now people, the the several hundred folk who have worked with me over the last thirty years would say, "Man, that dude is hard to work with." You know, Lenicia <laughs> said you were great. So just so you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, and she probably even had moments, you know, where, um, you know, because you know, in the midst of, and this is something I'm learning though, and and I'm really learning this at this point in my life. So, so my first maybe 25 years of ministry, uh, I'm, 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 I'm driving pretty hard and, and killing people around me, um, working, you know, working tirelessly, um, you know, you know, damn near kill my wife in the process, uh, just, just moving uh, fast and with great intensity all the time uh, with the goal of helping people, um, you know, along the way, the the casualties, you know, are the people who were really there for the right reason and doing the right thing, but just burned out as a result. And I have multiple times over the years, just I mean, just burned out, and and to the point where, you know, it all rolled up on me three years ago, uh, to one day of um, contemplating uh, just killing myself mm-hmm. and uh, I sat in a coffee shop and I thought about it. I called a, uh, called a close friend in Atlanta who I know had, had survived all kinds of crap. And, and I called him and I said, hey man, I think, man, this, I think this is the day. And, and he, uh, uh, he gave me some good advice. Um, one piece of advice was, uh, have, you, have you spoken to one leader yet? That's a really and good piece of advice. Doing it. <laughs> and and I said, uh, no, no, I haven't. And I called her next, and uh, and she got my therapist on the on the line, and I went to went to see her uh, that day. I went to see my therapist that day, and and um, from that day uh, of uh, contemplating suicide, I uh, I really began to to lean into a new way of living. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and since then I have, um, um, really taken a turn, uh, I think towards, towards the better, I think what, what it did for me, one, it released, um, the, um, it released my identity from what I do. Nice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for a lot of people in ministry, their, their totally identity is wrapped up in, in what they do, you know, um, and we don't know it all the time because it's very seductive and, and it eases up on you. 
but before I knew it, I had really fallen completely into that. And, and I think other people want that for you too. I mean, I think, yes, it is in us too, but I yeah. think other people don't recognize uh, that they're doing that. In fact, they were like, no, no, I'm different. I just want to be your friend. And you're like, yeah, but that's not, <laughs> that's not really what you want. <laughs> like you, you say it, you don't mean it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that's, I think that's how I uh, d differentiate friendships. You know, if it's uh, utilitarian, it's not friendship. Mm -hmm. No, if, if, um, if it's, you know, transactional, it's not friendship. And, and, and if, you know, if we're commodifying this relationship, then it's something else. But, um, but I'll tell you what really led up to that. Um, uh, probably three weeks before Hurricane Harvey hit Houston, uh, we were uh, insolvent. My entire organization was probably 90 days from com uh, bankruptcy completely. That's churches, nonprofits, everything. Uh, as a result of there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of a, of a couple of decisions uh, my uh, colleagues had made, and um, uh, and I you know I co-signed those couple of decisions, which meant it was mine. Mm -hmm. and, and I've always been that kind of leader. I'm a gang leader. I mean, I'm mean, a lead from the center of the room, mm -hmm. not from the, not from the periphery, not from the front. Same. The, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in the midst of it, you know, I assumed total responsibility for what was happening. And um, and what I what I had not really uh, considered was the the level of shame uh, I was I, I had internalized as a result of the loss that we were about to experience and 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 not until uh, I guess well, a few a few weeks later Harvey hit Houston sank the city um, uh, my my, uh, my close friends uh, uh, who are in the entertainment business um, you know sent me some millions and we uh we turned the corner now are those close friends does one of them have a hive of humans involved <laughs> one of them has a hive of humans <laughs> i mean who can claim that we can't yeah, man. there is no sarah hive but there is a bay hive <laughs> for sure but yeah yeah but she, she's been amazing over the years she, you know beyonce used to sing in our choir when she was a little girl yeah, she talks about that. Uh, I have a friend who is absolutely a Beyonce huge fan yeah. um, and uh, was really struck by uh, that grew up, learned in the church. In, in this one interview, talked about singing in the choir and that's where. Yeah, yeah. You know, just over the years, we have done some really crazy stuff all over the world together, you know, um, from, from Africa to Ethiopia and all points in between. It's just been, been good. And right here in Houston, right now, uh, during the pandemic, we were uh, uh, providing and still are providing support to about 2,000 families a week, mm -hmm. uh, food, supplies, uh, you name it. We just um, we just passed out uh, 1.5 million uh, in cash to 1,500 families. That's amazing. Uh, a thousand bucks at a time uh, for those impacted by the freeze. Um, and, and right now, uh, we are getting ready to turn our uh, church campus, uh, everything but the sanctuary. We set, this, you know, set the sanctuary aside. We're going to turn the, the entire campus into um, a housing development for young adults aging out of foster care. Now you are talking my language. Like, I literally have goosebumps. That's like some of the work I'm, I'm looking at pursuing is working with um, development companies to figure out how do we use 
the spaces that we have yeah. in a way that is, I think, most honoring to the divine. And for me, it's like, are we helping people? Because the church, all it used to be, and I hate used to be, but churches yeah. used to be the, the center place where people could find help and healing and wholeness and right. not a concert. And then it became the place that you went for a concert and like maybe a good word, maybe. maybe. And I love that. Um, I love that idea of like, what do we do to become the thing that's most helping people, not just their souls, but their actual lives and, and foster the foster system. I just saw, I don't know, yesterday I was reading an article about a girl who got adopted at 19 and she had to wait till 19 because the person who adopted her was her social worker, right? Wow. So she had to wait. And so she, this girl, her whole life has changed. And not only is her, her whole life changed, but she just uh, graduated from high school and is entering a program to become a foster care worker. Like she wants to be a social worker and yeah. do the work that she does. And to me, that's like those stories. I mean, we, we need the Beyonce's of the world. Absolutely. And she's changing lives, but someone like that, who's on the ground, whose life has been impacted by the foster care system. And we don't teach the skills learning. We've had a couple of friends and are part of our community, Josie Nice community. We have a bunch of um, social workers. I don't know what that says about us, but um, they, they talk a lot about the foster program and how painful it is because there aren't resources once you're done. Yeah. And we've, we've seen that. And um, you know, we, we were thinking, you know, so we've, we've uh, invested millions on this campus over the years. Um, the building that we're uh, getting ready to convert, we actually uh, uh, developed it about 20 years ago as a uh, school for kids with HIV. And uh, we ran that school for 10 years from 2000 to 2010. But, you know, drug therapies changed, changed the way people live with, uh, with AIDS. I mean, and Magic Johnson, if it's taught us anything. Right. Right. It was a death sentence. I remember when we heard that Magic Johnson had, and we, it was HIV and we just thought, oh my gosh, it's going right. to go to full-blown AIDS and that's it. Because all we'd seen, all we'd known right. was a death sentence. And now you're right, there's so much drug therapy and. It's, and, it, and, it, and it changed. So we, so we have this building and, uh, and then early on in the, uh, uh, in, in Destiny's Child's career, uh, they, they built in their, on their first hit, uh, no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> you were like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, they uh, collectively built a uh, youth center, uh, a gymnasium. And that gymnasium now is getting ready to become uh, 40 units of, uh, of housing for this demographic. So it's, uh, it's gone full circle and, and uh, it's been good. You know, our, actually our first housing development in downtown, um, she and Tina, her mom uh, were the sort sort of our first investors, and uh, so we built a um, a forty unit um, apartment building mm -hmm. uh, across the street from the church, and from there uh, now we're getting ready to build our build our fourth uh, across the street from the church, also on land we purchased um, for a hundred units. So we have a hundred and forty people right now that live on our campus every day, and and if I tell you it's the, it's one of the it's a rough spot. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to come see it. I really can't. Everybody in the room, everybody in the building uh, had to have been homeless for at least a year before moving in. So, uh, so there, there's a lot of, a lot of. Uh, savory yeah. folk. <laughs> <laughs> it's very savory. Yeah. 
I mean, I'll spice. tell you, Rudy. I I grew up in the throes of the Latin prosperity gospel. Where oh, yeah. <laughs> it it really did ruin kind of my faith. Like looking back now, like when I started my process of deconstruction and then coming back, it was a whole process. But a lot of it was looking at like the head pastor at my childhood church and thinking like, you have this giant house, mm. but this is like a little church in the hood. Like right. we're all poor over here and you have this giant house. Like there's no elder board. There's like, you're the one that's getting paid here. Right. And there's no, pro- there's no community programs. The, the most we did was have people knock on doors and invite them to church. That was uh. the, the extent of the outreach. And once I hit high school and you had to get volunteer hours or whatever, I just hit the ground running because I was like, this is what you told me to read this Bible. And this is what I, this is what I'm reading. (laughs) I'm supposed to be doing the work, but then more and more you see churches. And I would venture to say the majority of churches, 90% of churches that are not doing the work in the community. And that has to be, from your perspective, that has to be infuriating to some extent, right? To like, be the one. Yeah, you know, one thing, uh, um, in so my dissertation uh, um, a couple of years ago was on the intersection of black millennials and organized religion, okay? And in that, one of my, the, the, the real question I was trying to answer was, what, what is the real reason for, for the decline mm-hmm. interest in, in church, church attendance uh, to, uh, to participation, the, the whole whole bit, and you know what I found was at the core of it was um, the, the the core challenge was a prosperity gospel. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. You know because you you figure your generation uh, has looked at a um, at a promise that literally hadn't been kept based on the um, the words uh, religious people used mm-hmm. to. Uh, to supposedly manifest that for everybody, but but like you say, it it, it only manifested for a very few, yep. which which really meant that it was probably game, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's been interpreted as game now, and a generation has walked away. Yep. Uh, and as we as we approach it again, so you figure that these guys who who really built these um, these these mega institutions uh, built it on. Um, uh, Essek Kenyon's um, uh, sort of his theology, his new thought theology, mm-hmm. that uh, that Father Divine, Daddy Grace, uh, Reverend Ike. Uh, if you look those folk up, you'll find they were um, Black prosperity, uh, uh, new thought, you know, uh, gospel preachers who really told uh, their congregations that they could also be rich like them. Which know? was when you are in the pit. That's a that feels like a good word doesn't it? Exactly. It, it, but it's game. Mm-hmm. So, so along the way, you know, these, um, you know, now we have, now we have buildings uh, that were built on that foundation uh, that Sarah, your work in adaptive reuse is going to be essential because those buildings are going to be empty. You know, mm-hmm. this pandemic has proven, shit, I've been going to church in my drawers for a year. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, like, what? You yeah. Know? I mean, I got to put my clothes on to go to church now. <laughs> and no. how is it affecting my day to day? Have I, right. have I, like, wait a minute, 
is this something I need to do? And I think we were all in a rhythm and a pattern of, well, I go to that building and I check that box off. Now I've done church. I've checked in with God. We're okay for a week. I'll check back in with God in a week. And I think the thing that drives me nuts is when people talk about, and I'm sure in your research, you looked at this as well, like millennials and those below are the most generous financial um, generations and that have ever existed, but they will not give to that, which they don't see helping. And I think what we know and what's difficult and what you experienced was the burnout that comes from trying to do both. And like, I want to care for those people who want us to get out there in the community and do all that. And yes, yes, yes. But the constant, am I doing enough? Right. So you're a guy who's, you know, you have done 10 years of helping kids that had HIV. I mean, that's incredible. And yet we still can't feel like it's enough. Like it's always coming for us. It's always not enough. And that's in a weird way, another, it's another prosperity. It's different, but it's like, are we ever doing enough for the people who need us to do more and be more? And I think there is something beautiful about the both and like, what is your thing? Like every church that I'll I'll talk to there, we don't have enough to do the thing. And I'm like, no one's asking you to do all the things. You're not going to be able to, you know, you couldn't have predicted that someone would drop millions of dollars in your lap. No, couldn't have been. mm -hmm. And, you know, and those, those millions have, um, you know, all, all of the money hadn't come from one person. No, we've raised a hundred million over the last 30 years for causes. And, and in the midst of that, um, I mean, there are a lot of uh, very generous people in this world who, who can see uh, the, the need in front of them and, mm-hmm. and will move towards that need. Uh, and that's, we, we just, we've just been like, you know, recipients of grace as a result and have passed that grace on to the, uh, to the people around us. And, you know, it's been, it's been a, uh, man, we've got a great community, you know? And you're reaching out to that community and not just in a, cause I want you to go to this church. One of the things I've fought hardest, and I know you do too, is uh, it's kind of the United Methodist mentality that you can put any pastor anywhere. And no. you're like, no, because that's not your community. You don't know it. It's going to take you a while to get to know it. Do you love it? Do you feel the affinity? You knew that area because you had a hotel full of um, folks who were experiencing need. Right. And so you knew that need in a way that we can serve. I, I call it serving at people. Yeah. Like I want to do ministry at you. <laughs> like, let me just come and tell you what you need. I'm going to do it at yeah. you. Cause it's like the sexy thing. Like I'm going to make you a little bag full of things and then like pass it on a stick toward you. But it's yeah. like messy. Like you have people who have been homeless for over a year living in your house <laughs> during COVID. <laughs> like Boy, yep. that, that place is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as a matter of fact, uh, we have one one property that's a 15 unit uh, uh, property uh, we built several years ago, and this one is uh, dedicated to chronic inebriates. Mm. So, so all 15 residents um, drink daily. Uh, they just they can't drink in public. They can't drink in the public space. They can't drink with their neighbor. They can drink alone in their room. <laughs> it's called it's called wet shelter, mm-hmm. and and if I tell you, we have seen behaviors modify uh, as a result of being in community. You know, you want to come out and hang out, 
uh, and you can't bring your, your bottle with you, you come out and hang out. Mm-hmm. And subsequently, you start seeing some modification. In Choices. How, right, right. But, but the key in that is, is how we do community. And, and all of those folk are welcome in this church experience any given day. And all don't take us, take us, you know, take us up on it. But, but our commitment is not to proselytize, uh, you know, in the midst of our service. So, mm-hmm. so we, we proselytize. And I always told my team from day one, uh, the way we proselytize is through uh, unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And, and if a person loves you, they will follow you to your, to your house. <laughs> all right? And yes. We have seen that happen 30,000 times. That's the piece of the puzzle that I think the church is just not wanting to understand, right? Is like, you can't, this whole idea, I have been talking to friends, a couple of friends who were very passionate about um, the homeless situation in Los Angeles and California in general. And we've talked about like, we dream up these like centers and whatever. And the first thing that comes up is how churches always try to do a homeless outreach but it has to be dry. You have to be sober 72 hours. And I think like how, pardon my French, how the fuck are you going to be sober on the streets? Like, (laughs) I know, I know I'd be virtually impossible. Yes. And I, it's been proven. Studies have been done. These things have been like tested with housing first and still the church does not want the image issue. Right. Because at the end of the day, it's one, just the images. Dear college friends, um, we're still friends today, uh, lives on Skid Row in LA and has been there about 20 years. Um, um, seven, no, six years ago, uh, I brought him to Houston and, uh, you know, I said, hey, come to Houston, hang out with us. And, and he did and stayed about 10 months. And one day he said, hey, I gotta go back, mm. and, and and went back. You know, went back to Skid Row. But but I, you know, because that was home. Because that was home, mm. and I understood. You know, I'd gotten him a one way ticket to Houston, um, and when it was time, I got him a one way ticket back to LA. You know, because I knew uh, that was the place that he wanted to be because that was his family. Those were his people. Mm. You know, and. Uh, but you know, you know, LA Skid Row is getting ready to gentrify. I mean, it's already gentrifying. It's already gentrifying. Get me started. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's almost done. You know, yeah. you know, um, one one of the things, and, and Sarah, I want you to keep me posted on your work because uh, uh, I've been telling people for a long time uh, that this denomination that 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 I've I've been a part of has always been more concerned about the 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 building. Uh, than it has been about the people uh, who are sitting on the pews in that building, yep. and especially if that building is um, in urban urban areas. Um, I, we're we're going to take our our sanctuary, and uh, we're in the process right now of converting it to a uh, to a coffee shop, and uh, and that's the entire sanctuary. Um, uh, we're using a model, a uh, host coffee in London. Uh, yeah, is that with the uh, Oasis Ministry? Who's doing host? It's a uh, it's a kind of a cathedral, and and they they do coffee during the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that spot, I don't I don't know if the, the organization, but it's a great coffee shop, mm-hmm. and and we're gonna model we're modeling that in terms of 
using the space, every all, all the pews of the seating. And, and can I tell uh, you, put casters on them. That's the best decision I ever made in my church. Casters. Dude, I didn't think about that. Put I'll show you how to install them. So I, all of our pews are on casters because we do traditional weddings. So yeah. one day I was just in there and I was like, I want everyone, I'm tired of everybody looking at me because that says something, right? It says, you're the keeper of the knowledge. You have the God stuff. And I was like, they need to look at each other because we were having like profound moments and everyone's facing forward. Like, it's just not. So I wanted everyone to be able to face each other, but I knew that we needed the finances of being able to rent the space out for weddings and people want that traditional forward facing thing. Yeah. So I got these locked casters. I'll send you the link. Um, and then I installed them on all the pews. And so all the pews are mobile and they lock up and down. We have earthquakes. So we had to make sure that they would be like locked up and down. And that way too, our older people can move the pews, you know, or, you know, like yeah, yeah, I'll send you the link. It's, and that has been the silliest little thing that's made the biggest difference. So if you're going to use it for church on you know, in the evening or whatever, but you want to use them for people or people need to move around. Cause I don't know, we have a pandemic and they can't be that close. That's been the good thing about having uh wheels on our, our pews. I want to take you up on a promise for, for coming on today too. Uh, like you, you promised you'd give me that RV if I came on. Yes. Uh, you can come, you can stay in it. I don't think you can have it. Cause <laughs> I, I want it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want it right now. You know yeah. how like you want to have a friend who has a boat, but you don't want to have a boat. That's like Gidget, my RV. You want to know that you can use her whenever you want to use her and you can use her whenever you want to use her. But I would not bless you with that because <laughs> are you going to rough? Are you going to take a uh, take a trip in it? Yeah, so I'm taking a, a year to figure I'm on um, the bishop and I actually had a long meeting yesterday, but I'm on a year right now. We're calling it personal leave, but there's a potential that I'll be appointed to um, like extension ministry stuff, but I'm going to take at least three months uh, where I just work on it. And I kind of get my head clear because there is that I burn out real bad. Um, but I've still been performing and producing because is, you know, Juanita and I, we're, we're going to talk a lot about um, being an Enneagram three because uh, oh, I just learned. Three. I just yeah. learned this year I'm an Enneagram three. I've always thought I was a two. Um, okay. And so learning, like I burnt myself out on both ends. And I, and I think it's the same thing as you, but I need to learn how to compartmentalize. I yeah. don't. I welcome people into all parts of my life. And then I'm so drained. I don't know who I am anymore. And so part of me rebuilding Gidget is me rebuilding me. Um, and she's she was in a rough shape. And I don't know if you knew Rachel Held Evans, but her husband is the one who found it for me. And it's okay. kind of like this weird thing that it's like a weird Rachel legacy. You know, it's just a way for me to work on my grief with my hands as well. And so, you know, making space and making space for myself is going to look a little bit different than I've, I'm saying no to people for the first time. I mean, it's, whew, I turned 40 this year. Something happened in me where I'm okay. like, okay, it's time for me to figure out me. Yeah. She, she is one person that I, uh, you know, every now and then you, 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 you hear about people that you hate you didn't meet, mm, you know, yeah. um, because everybody I know knew her. Y'all would have <laughs> loved each other. Everybody. I know. I know knew her. Everybody. She was such an introvert. It was always surprising to me. You know, yesterday was the day she passed away uh, two okay. years ago. And I was speaking at an event in uh, Toronto, Canada, and came off the stage and Kevin Garcia called me and said, hey, before it hit CNN, 
Dan wanted us to call around. She, she didn't, she passed. And mm-hmm. I had a line of people who wanted to talk to me and I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. I just started crying in a way that I can't. And I think it's part of it's we're the same age. Part of it is we had the same deconstruction process, but also like love of people, you know? And part of it was that she always encouraged me. And I mean, she was the first one when she found out how much I charged to speak. She was like, I'm literally charging 10 times this amount and I cannot allow you because <laughs> I just, I'm not the person, I'm not a business. You know, when you were like, oh yeah, my business wasn't solving. I'm like, welcome to me. I'd be like, no, it's cool guys. This is fine. Um, and so learning, you know, my worth from her was really incredible. And then she was just such a kind human and she would have loved you because she yeah. just didn't give a damn either, but did like, it was the weirdest balance, right? Like we say we don't, but we do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the Josephine, are you in ministry? Um, yes, I guess so. I always kind of have been, but right now I'm actually I work at Sarah's church. That's how we met. Okay, got it. That's good. She is my um administrative guru. She's great. Um, she is a business-minded eight. Everyone yes. should have a business-minded Enneagram eight around. That is me. What are you going to do next? So I'm actually going to get my master's in modern art history. I okay. have a huge passion for how the arts transform lives and how they're completely inaccessible to people like me. I grew up in an immigrant community. I didn't realize that I was an artist until college. Um, And it was always in me. I've always done it. Uh, And so I think that there's great societal change that can be started through art. Something as simple as a flag flown that says a man was lynched today, you know? that powerful impact that I mean and that's art like people don't always want to see the facts but they'll always see the art they'll always see the art mm-hmm. and I always have Rudy it has been so great to have you on here I want to ask you one more question and then we'll ask uh for information about where people can find you I literally could talk to you for hours this is another one of those times Josie where I forgot we were still recording um <laughs> I the question is if, if this is one tangible thing that people could do today if they're listening or watching that they could make space for other people what would that thing be like it, it, the smallest thing the biggest thing what do you think that that thing is you know the, the one thing that i think uh people forget is the power of accepting the person in front of them completely mm. who they are and uh and that's what i have i mean if there's a ministry uh identity connected to me, uh, that would, that ministry identity would be, this guy will accept you, you know? And, uh, and I think uh, if we can spread the, uh, the word that that is really uh, the most important thing that we can do for one another, uh, I think the world can change. Mm-hmm. I, really I do. think you're right. Oh, that's beautiful. And now if folks want to uh, check out your work, check you out. Where is the best place for people to connect with you and what you do? Uh, RudyRasmus.com, uh, R-U-D-Y-R-A-S-M-U-S.com. And all of the info is there, uh, all of the stuff, you know, that I do and and how to holler at me as well. Uh, I look forward to hearing from, from folk, you know. Uh, you so I hang out. My, my spiritual gift is hanging out. And that's what I've been doing. <laughs> <laughs> yours too all right i love quality that quality time is my love language ah yeah mine too it's mm-hmm. a too. so so i, I hang out I, you know pre pre-pandemic you know i'd go seventy five hundred thousand miles a year just to hang out you know and um 
And, and now I think I'm getting ready to do it again. You know, um, and, and right now, man, I'm really, um, really praying for my friends in India. Yeah. yeah. It is. I was there yeah. for a month, several Rough. years ago. And, um, and it changed my life. It traumatized me, but it changed my life. Yeah, that is, the, that is actually the sentence you just said, two people I went to seminary with uh, said it was the best and worst experience of their entire lives. Best, best and worst. I was in therapy for six months. Uh, mm-hmm. She cut six. off, uh, she ended an engagement. They ended up eventually getting back together, but the, the caste system and being in that, uh, yeah. when you are um, unable to be effective um, right. and change uh, was absolutely devastating to her to her being and had uh she did some great therapy and then um has done she's doing great but that was definitely that is a thing india is hard for a lot and beautiful it right it's hard and beautiful aren't we all but yeah absolutely josie where can folks oh my gosh so good to have you are you kidding i it was so good and i like i would i cannot wait to come hang out with you You (laughs) josie where can folks find us well, first of all, you can find us on makingspaces.com. You can find us on Instagram at makingspacespodcast. Uh, you can find Sarah at Rev Sarah Heath on Instagram. And you can find me at Josie Takes the World. Josie Takes the World. I love Josie it. the World. And we'll catch you next week where we will be saving a space for you. Bye. Bye.
This has been an Irreverent Media Podcast.